Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into The Fire podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Sherry. I'm Bill. And we are on to The Fellowship of the Ring, Chapter 5, A Conspiracy Unmasked. Now to catch you up, the (laughs) hobbits are trying to get out of the Shire, but not be super obvious about it, not create a stir. They have been meeting ominous horsemen in black and they have recently been helped by farmer maggot and his wife they gave them some food and mushrooms mushrooms and safe passage to the ferry to cross the brandywine river farmer maggot gave him a ride and farmer maggot has also seen one of these riders who has asked about frodo's whereabouts and he didn't get any information from Maggot, but it is clear they are searching for Frodo. And even Maggot's animals were afraid of this rider. Yeah. Scary guard dog run away with their... I guess they run away with their tail between their legs, but I don't believe that detail was actually... <laughs> But yeah, that's pretty accurate. And these are the, you know, from the same group of dogs that when Frodo was young, you know, chased him for stealing mushrooms, right? Yes. So. Frodo's a mushroom thief. That he is. I guess all hobbits are at heart. Anyhow, so the chapter starts where they're on the ferry lane and they've already parted from Farmer Maggot. And they they have a large flat ferry boat that takes them across the river for if you don't want to go all the way out of your way to use the bridge. Which is some distance. Now there is a Brandywine River near us. Yeah. I've fished in it. Mm-hmm. And Brandywine Creek, different branches of Brandywine Creek, goes quite a long way. I don't know how Pennsylvania's Brandywine River was named after. The Shire's Brandywine River, um, it's got a different uh, etymology. It started out as Barrenduin. Yeah, Brandywine's <laughs> just like a common English name. That's really what it is mostly. For independence. And also apparently connected with um, a but hobbitish word, Braldonin, meaning heady ale. He, he, he clearly likes to make, you know, folksy, like, Englishy stuff, and then he invents, like, an alternate language for them. Because he's translating. Yeah, may, may as well drop this on everyone. Yeah. Oh, well, Yes, we have yet? not discussed oh. this. <laughs> Oh, yes, the um, Brandywine River in Pennsylvania may be from an old Dutch word for brandy or gin. That's it, Dutch. Brandewin, with a J in it, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong because I can't speak Dutch. Or it may be from the name of an early mill owner, Andreas Brainwind, or Brantwine. There you go, that sounds right. <laughs> I, I am probably pronouncing everything wrong. Yeah, that's... 
It's close enough. We get an idea. But yeah, so you didn't discuss the names yet. Okay. No, I haven't. And now it's... It's a good little discussion. So, as far as you, the reader, know while reading this book, everybody's speaking maybe just charmingly, slightly archaic, folksy English. But apparently... Nobody in this world is actually speaking English, and what's rendered as English to the readers is something called Westron, which doesn't resemble English at all, and even those folksy-sounding Hobbit names are totally different to me. This ruins my imagination of it. it really, I love that. I love the, like, It's yeah, funny. Like... Frodo's real name is Mora. Is spelled Bill, a... Bill, okay. That's Frodo. Okay, yeah. His real name is Mora. Mora Labingi. Yes, and it it still translates to like wise and um something about like the end of a bag or like it that it's sounds, still that, that does sound like face. It has the Moralabingi like Moralabingi sounds like some Hobbit like, mobster name. And it's not just Frodo. Everybody apparently has a different name, and I don't have them all off the top of my head. But if you like really care to look this up, it's on one wiki to rule them all. If you look at the different characters and alternate names for them, and look up about Westron, and. On one level, it's funny, and another level, I'm like, Tolkien, why did you have to do that? We may podcast this about this in the future, but this would take multiple podcasts. If nothing else, it messes with my little fantasy of getting into the Shire somehow, and then being like, oh, nobody speaks the language. Magic. Uh, Translating. <laughs> you know. A magical narrator. <laughs> Okay, so we dropped the big one on our listeners. His real name's Maura Labingi. But there'll be another podcast about names. <laughs> yeah, there are okay. Languages or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it would take multiple podcasts, over multiple hours to even cover this. So, so apparently, this river is not so deep that they can't use a pole to move the ferry across. Right. I always imagine the Brandywine as deep, deep. I mean, at least like like the Schuylkill or something. Yeah. I don't know how deep that is either, so. I wouldn't try to pull a raft across some of the wider parts of it. Especially after a rain. And on the eastward side of it is an area called Buckland. I should probably tell you there is also a Buckland in Massachusetts. I've been there. It's very beautiful countryside. I can totally see it as a place where hobbits would be. You know, if they existed. This is Buckland, and the area they're headed for is a specific part of Buckland called Crick Hollow. I love that name. Yeah, I do. Watch that be a name that Tolkien has some weird thing for also. And it goes on about 
um, the area. There's a place called Buck Hill that has been basically hollowed out with different tunnels by generations of hobbits. Um, they call it Brandy Hall. And the Brandy Bucks live there, and the head of the Old Buck family, who were the predecessors of the Brandy Bucks, Gore him Dad Old Buck. And we were just earlier talking about how neat those names are, and... We should all have poverty names, and yeah. suggested Bill as... Um, Gore him Dad Old Buck. Yep. And I'm like, oh, you could but go then- with Daddy too for it. And then, but he should, he should hyphenate it because he then becomes Brandy Buck later on. He changes his name. So he should be Gorgon Dad, Old Buck hyphen Brandy Buck. There you go. So this. That's, that's pretty close. That, that's close enough. That's, 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 that's in the spirit of my name. This Buck Hill that has become Brandy Hall, and it just got more and more hollowed out with different tunnels as um, the family got bigger. It's windows on the side of the hill. There's three large front doors. Any side doors, about a hundred windows. This does not sound structurally safe. No. <laughs> well, I guess they knew how to how to build things. And they also had um, a village of Buckleberry on the that's um, behind the hill that's Brandy Hall. The area is also called the Marish. Like at no, the Marish. That was where Farmer Maggot <laughs> We already talked about this. It's yeah. It's the marsh. It's the other side of the river from where they are now. More about how the hobbits um, on their respective sides of the river thought each other were weird, foreign, but they weren't really all that different from each other. Except, Except yes. Yeah. Swimming, the water. Yes, the Buckland boating. side, they boat, and some of them even swim. Whoa. Scandalous. I know, right? And because they wanted more protection from the east, which, um, after all, that's where uh, all the dangerous adventures, you know, were off in that direction, mm-hmm. they built a hedge called the High Hay. Not that that would stop all that much. Well, it's a pretty serious hedge. And it's really long. Over 20 miles from one end to the other. And in some places it was pretty close up against the old forest. Which uh, we'll learn all about that in the next chapter. Well, this chapter. Oh, there's a bit about it, but you don't yeah, really well, get to see how crazy that place is. Till... I know, but they they do have to contend with the forest in one area, a sizable area. And while this is happening, Sam is thinking about how he's leaving his life behind, which, yeah, he, he is. He's doing that. 
Yeah, yeah it's the furthest he's ever been. I mean that that is a movie line, but you no, put him but much, I mean it actually does. It is, it is. I thought in the book they mentioned it. He didn't say it, but I thought they like briefly mentioned it or something. I don't know. Oh, this is pretty much the manner in which it's mentioned. Yeah. And on the far bank where they just left, they see a dark black bundle that seems to be moving this way and that, and then it crawls and goes back into the gloom beyond where the lamplight is. We should all know what that we is. Yes, we all, I think, know what that is. That is a um, black rider dismounted and looking for signs of Frodo. And he sniffs for Frodo or the hobbits in general, I think, too. I suppose it's not too big a spoiler for me to t- say that... Um, Black riders are blind, at least in the conventional sense. They have other senses, including beyond what we have, but they can't actually see in the normal way. So their other senses might be heightened. Right. I mean, they've got... They can smell, they can smell, like, the blood of, like, a living creature, such as, say, a hobbit. They can see things that are, like, in their wraith world... Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's why they don't seem to actually truly see the hobbits yet and why they're sniffing instead of just looking. Yeah. And Frodo asks if horses can cross the river. And Mary says that it's, you know, ten miles to go to the bridge. And, you know, maybe a horse could swim it, but he's never heard of it happening. Which, okay, fair enough. I think a horse probably could swim a river like that if it really had to, but it would be not practical, not safe. Yeah. But it's like, why are you asking about horses? And Frodo just says, oh, he'll tell them later when they get indoors. And they have, um, they have the food from Farmer Maggot so they can have another supper. Typical Hobbit. Of course. (laughs) And they go to Frodo's little house at Crick Hollow, and it sounds like such a cute little country house. It's built... To look as much like a hobbit hole as it can without actually being a hobbit hole. Yeah. It's got... See, where was the description of it? Yeah, it had a turf roof, it had round windows, it had a round door. No upper story, they're hobbits, they don't want that. They've got like, stone flooring inside. I mean, Frodo doesn't. Frodo wasn't planning to actually live there. Uh, if Frodo doesn't want it, I'd like it. I know. I, I was. <laughs> yeah. I was reading that and thinking, my be goodness. An improvement from yeah, anything I've lived in recently. That that could be a close enough second to a hobbit hole.
If you hear any noises from the dog, um, pardon that. She has a tennis ball she has brought. Oh, she can have a tennis ball. I thought it was something else. No, she's... We generally prefer that she doesn't bring these into the house, but... They get wedged under the couch and other things. And then she flips out trying to get the ball out and... So when they get into their cute little hobbit house, they've got a hot bath waiting for them. Three different tubs. They don't even have to take churns and have like the youngest go last or whatever. <laughs> That's them. Yeah. Now here's another moment where Frodo is normal and reasonable, but the earlier draft, Bingo, is uh, a little weird. See, in the early draft, um, back when Frodo was still Bingo, um, Bingo, Bulger, Bulger Baggins, or Bulger Boffin, whatever he was. Bingo is like, oh, if this bathwater is cold, I'd hate to have to drown you in it. Like, yeah. whoa, Bingo. That's a bit much. I mean, yes, I'm sure it's a joke, but Frodo wouldn't say that. And Frodo does not say that in the final draft. But what they do have is Pippin singing a bath song. And it's all about rain and fountains and beer. And when he gets to the part about um, a fountain, he splashes the water and floods the floor. And I'm like, no, I don't want to clean that up. But stone floor can take it, right? Well, if it's done well, it should have a drain on it. They have their second supper of mushrooms. And they are also there with Fredegar, more often known as Fatty Bulger. I don't think he minds the name. It actually sounds like a politician's name. It's just, you know, vote for Fatty Bulger. I'd vote for Fatty Bulger. And at that point, then, they explain about how they're And they talk about Farmer Maggot's guess that has something to do with Bilbo's uh, treasure. And Frodo's quick to say, but that was only a guess. Maggot doesn't actually know anything. And, you know, Mary says Farmer Maggot is shrewd. And, you know, he's thinking a lot more than he actually says. And he even used to go into the old forest... And he knows, he has a reputation of knowing many strange things. But 
could Frodo tell at least whether this was a good guess or a bad? And Frodo carefully, he says that it, he thinks that it's a good guess and it is connected with Bilbo's old adventures. And the riders are searching either for Bilbo or for him. And that he's not safe there or anywhere. He's basically not safe. Which also makes anyone with him not safe either. That's right. And he has something to tell them all, but he's not sure how to begin. And Mary says he can tell some of it himself, which um, alarms Frodo, who thought he was keeping everything properly secret. Mary was able to tell that Frodo planned to leave the Shire. He was doing things like going around on walks and, you know, saying to his different favorite locations, oh, will I ever see this valley again? He didn't hide that very well. And also pretending that he'd come to the end of his money and he sold Baggins. To the Sackville Bagginses. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and all those talks with Gandalf. That's something's up with that. And then he's worried, well, does all of the Shire know then? And no, not, not all of the Shire... But Mary doesn't think it will stay secret for very long. And Frodo is I'm getting concerned by this. How much else do they know? How do they know it? Can he trust his friends who are... Maybe keeping two close tabs on him. Maybe spying. Seems like it. It's more like they care about him. But they... No, they they care about him. And... um, Mary says... uh, Yeah, Pippin says that Mary and him are also going to come and... Also, that Sam is an excellent fellow who would jump down a dragon's throat to save him if he didn't trip over his own feet. And he's going to need more than one companion on this adventure. And Frodo, he tries to explain this isn't a treasure hunt. He's going in from danger into danger. And... Mary says oh, he knows the ring isn't a laughing matter and he's going to do the best to help against the enemy and well, that's revealing even more how does he know about the ring mm-hmm. and it turns out Mary well, he didn't know Bilbo when he was younger but he did see Bilbo put on the ring and disappear once he was walking along the path, and the Sackville Bagginses were coming along, and he saw Bilbo just disappear, and as soon as the Sackville Bagginses were on their way, he reappeared and got a glimpse of a bit of gold as he put something back into his pocket. We should clarify, he did know Bilbo, but 
he didn't know Bilbo, like, there was a different age gap sort of thing going on that he was a kid, and so... I think everybody knew Bilbo one way right. or the other. You know, he's he's crazy old Mr. Baggins who goes on adventures, exactly. but also he's rich and throws good parties. Right. <laughs> and they probably heard their parents and grandparents talking about Bilbo and old stories. And he also even knows about Bilbo's secret book. And he wonders if Frodo has it. And Frodo says he didn't have it. It's not at Bag End. And he correctly guessed that Bilbo must have taken it away with him when he left. And the other information came from Sam, who actually was eavesdropping on purpose. Not just trimming the hedges under the eaves or whatever he was uh, saying he was doing. And so at this point his friends do know most of what's going on and Where, how Frodo intends to leave and they want to go with him. And Frodo doesn't think he can trust any of them because they have been spying on him, at least in some sense, and, you know, finding out his most important secrets. It's like, no, we're not going to let you go off and... off into danger without you know, bringing your friends and they know it's dangerous and they're going to go with him anyway. That's what you call good friends. And as they're going to get ready to do another adventure, um, Mary and Pippin even sing a song um, themed similarly to the original song that the dwarves sang about the Misty Mountains. And if you want to hear a pretty good rendition of it, go on to YouTube and look up Clamavi de Profundus. Um, they do a lot of songs from Tolkien. Oh, they don't have Marion Pippin's version by itself. If you listen to Misty Mountains Complete, after you listen to the full dwarf version and the um, Song of Durin put in the middle and all that, towards the end, the, um, in the last few minutes of the song, they have Marion Pippin's verses. Now, can you put like a link in something connected with this podcast? Uh, yes, on the Facebook post where I share it, um, I will provide a link to 
Misty Mountain's complete fight, Clamavi de Profundus, and I hope I'm pronouncing their names right. I'm probably not. But I do recommend you check out their channel. They have so many good renditions of Tolkien songs, Tolkien poetry, and they have a few other things too. They have um, some biblical, some Christmas, but mostly it's Tolkien. I used to listen to this stuff a lot. But before they go, Frodo does want to go to bed and have, you know, one night's sleep under a roof. And Pippin is like, oh, that poetry about riding before the break of day, you don't really mean that, do you? And um, Frodo says he doesn't know, it's not safe to stay in one place long, especially since it's known that he's going to this place. But he still wants to see Gandalf. And even Gilda the Elf was disturbed that Gandalf hadn't shown up yet. But he still doesn't know how soon the riders could get to Buckleberry and how soon could they leave. And, you know, Mary says that they could leave within an hour because he's packed away almost everything except for perishable food and a few extra clothes. And he's got five ponies in the stable across the field. So they could just leave. And about the riders, all they could have reached here by now. I mean, why would they be slower than hobbits on foot? Right. But they were probably stopped at the north gate in the hedge that runs along the river bank and probably wouldn't have been let through because they're scary looking and it's night. Not that you know, whoever they got guarding the gate could really stop them if the riders really wanted to get through. Right. I mean, what what they would they... They seem to be inquisitive, but they haven't been violent. They haven't been violent, at least not yet. But it's also possible that if they waited till day, even maybe a rider could get through if they asked for Mr. Baggins in the daylight. Right. And Frodo comes to the decision. They will sleep the night there, but they will leave tomorrow as soon as it's light, and they're not going to go by road because that's what's expected of them. They're going to um, cut through the old forest instead, and Fredegar or Fatty is horrified by this. The old forest has a very dangerous reputation, which I will say some of it's deserved, but we'll see why um, in the next chapter. But also some of it is you know, old stories that probably were never based on truth.
Fredegar in particular does not want to go in, says nobody has any luck in the old forest, no one ever has luck in there, you'll get lost, people don't go in there. But Mary says that occasionally the brandy bucks do, you know, when they feel like it and they have a private entrance. And Frodo went in once long ago, and he's been in several times too, in daylight when the trees are sleepy and fairly quiet. Now that's your first uh, hint. The trees there are somewhat more uh, alive and sentient than your normal tree. Yeah, yeah, there's some interesting things that uh, happen in the forest. But Fredegar says he's more afraid of the old forest than of anything he knows about it. He's heard all these stories. And... But he says his vote doesn't count because he's not going on the journey with them. Fredegar had uh, agreed to... He was going to house-sit the uh, house and... keep up a bit of a pretense that Frodo was still there. For as much as he can. He even uh, had some of Frodo's old clothes. You, though you wouldn't think people there would know what Frodo's old clothes would look like. I mean, how long has it been? It's been quite a while. And... I don't think that Fredegar would have done this if he had really known what the Black Riders really are and how dangerous they are. I'm not saying that he wouldn't have helped in some way, but I would think going with them would be better and safer than waiting behind for Black Riders to show up. Yeah. Because being in that house, you're a target. You're, like, just sitting target. And that's just about, um, once we get further in the book and learn more about them, let's just say that's one of the last creatures in Middle-earth that I would want to be a sitting target to. Yeah. And... Yeah, it actually says in the words, they little thought how dangerous that part might prove. Frodo would still like to to leave some sort of message for Gandalf, and leaving Fredegar behind is basically the only way he can. He doesn't dare um, leaving a written message. He doesn't know whether the writers can read or not. Which is a good question. I'm inclined to think not. I don't know. I mean... Probably not. I mean, if they're blind. But blind, peop- blind people can read. But they don't have braille and... They may have something. Are you sure they don't have braille? In Middle Earth. They might. Braille's not that crazy a thing. It's doable. I could see Tolkien doing that. Especially oh, d- if they were all like that, they would probably come up with something. Probably. 
I always would do something like that. So the question is still up in the air whether the writers would have the means to read the message or not. And Pippin says he would rather have their job than fatties, which is waiting till black writers come. We've already discussed why. But Fredegar says that they're going to change their mind um, by this time tomorrow with what it's like in the forest. But they've agreed to what they've agreed to. Mary's just going to finish some packing and they're going to get what sleep they can before dawn of next day, which I'm going to say isn't much. And Frodo can't even sleep right away when he's in bed and when he does, he has some interesting dreams. First, he dreams that he's looking out of a high window over a dark sea of tangled trees, but he can hear creatures crawling and snuffling around the roots, and he thinks they could smell him out sooner or later. I'd say that's probably symbolic both of facing the old forest and the Black Riders. The Black Rider. And then he dreams that he hears the sound of the sea, which he hasn't actually heard in real life, but he dreams about it a lot. And then he finds himself out in the open, and there are no trees after all, but there's a salt smell in the air, and he sees a tall white tower standing alone on a high ridge, and he gets a great desire to climb the tower and see the sea, and he starts to um, climb up the ridge toward the tower, but a light comes in the sky and a noise of thunder. Now, I'm not really sure what symbolically is going on there. Well, I know why he dreamt that. Because the first words in the next chapter kind of clarify that. Uh, yeah. Banging on the door. Mary's like, banging on the door and he has a candle. Yeah. So. And not every dream has to be symbolic of anything, but I. Right. And, but there may be something symbolic about it as well. Yes. So this White Tower does really exist. It is west of the Shire. So Frodo is dreaming about a place that does exist, but that he hasn't personally been to. And I'm not going to drop, you know, a spoil drop any spoilers otherwise. We, we know that hobbits fear the ocean. And even associate it with death. Um, they would likely think being on the ocean in a boat would be is, the worst thing. That's, yes. That's it. You will never come back. And without dropping any spoilers, I can't really say more about that. And that's the end of the chapter. The next one is The Old Forest, which um, is an interesting place. We'll get into that soon. And uh, so, so basically this chapter was going from Farmer Maggot to 
getting to the forest, the edge of the Where their adventure really begins. They are not in the Shire anymore. Right. And, you know, with that, the episode ends. Thank you for listening to Castings the Fire podcast, and have a good evening. Bye.